0: Okay. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Peggy's Recovery Corner. We're here on a Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. Peggy's Recovery Corner is a recovery podcast. We talk about all things recovery or lack thereof, depending on how you roll, depending on who you are and what you consider recovery, that uh, some people may see certain things as recovery that others may not. But I like to, you know, keep an open mind to everything. Um, What really matters to me is when somebody is abstinent and changing their lives completely. But then again, you know, we may have some guests in the future that um, are not completely abstinent, but do consider recovery what it is. So today, my special guest is Ricky, Ricky P. Um, I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Is it per P- it's per-year. year? It's per year, per um, year. I've known Ricky for some years now. Uh, welcome to the corner, first and foremost. Good to have you here today. Thank you. It's Glad to be here. Ricky's become quite a dear friend for me over the years. Um I'll get into more why I didn't really care for him when I first met him, but that was just me viewing him uh, you know through from from an egoic scope of of lens like I I just should have let him I, I let him be and he he diff- definitely came into this path that we're on now but um Ricky usually the way I break it down is we like to go into delve into your past We want to know about you and where you grew up, like where you were born, where you grew up, um, what life was like, and then we'll get into the other stuff, the using, the drinking, whatever, and then we'll get into the recovery aspect. But first and foremost, where are you from?
1: All right. Well, I'm Ricky P. And um, I grew up in Washington State in a town. Okay, first, I was born in a city... um, called connell washington super small very very small um i stayed there until i was about six or seven years old and then we moved to a town named kennewick Mm -hmm. in washington still and that's where i grew up for the remaining part of my years of growing up um i had both my parents they were they were married up until they weren't um i went to elementary school somewhere i don't i can't remember the name but somewhere in kennewick and then i moved on to high school where i guess that's where i started the lifestyle that would assume like that all that all the bad things came from
0: okay so let's back up before we get into the bad things um, did you have any siblings?
1: Oh yeah I have a sister younger she's, or older she's older than me she's like eight months older nine did you guys have older. a good
0: relationship you and your sister?
1: Uh, we really did not no um, I think maybe it was good for a while. Maybe, maybe like for maybe like three years out of my whole life, it was a good relationship. Mm
0: -hmm. And then, Uh, so while living in in Washington, you know, going like you moved around, obviously your parents, did they get divorced? Did you say while you were moving around or did this happen before your high school days? uh, They got divorced
1: when I was about 15 Did the divorce mess with you Um, or did you not care at the time? I don't think it messed with me, but looking back, it definitely did. Um, I remember the night that me and my sister found out because my sister was the first one because my dad was uh, cheating on my mom and my sister was the first one to find out. And she called me up crying and told me I needed to come over to where she was at Mm -hmm. to see what she had found. Basically Mm -hmm. went over there and what it was, was a voicemail on my dad's phone because she was borrowing his phone and thought it was a voicemail from her boyfriend at the time, but it was not, it was a voicemail from this other lady. Mm -hmm. And we listened to the voicemail and my immediate thought was, like we got to tell mom and my sister's immediate thought was no we can't do that and uh so she couldn't tell my mom and i really wanted to so i went ahead and did uh probably a couple days later but that night that we found out i remember going back to my best friend's house and um this was before i really did any drugs or anything but he pulled out uh some oxycontin And told me that I could take this pill and it would make all the pain go away of what I was probably feeling. Right. And so I did. I took it. (laughs) And I don't really remember anything, to be honest with you. But I know that it felt good. And I didn't start doing opiates right away after that. But it was a good little getaway for that night. but I did end up telling my mom and it was probably really heartbreaking for her. Maybe it wasn't my place to tell her. I don't know, but it felt like I needed to cause it's my mom, you know? (laughs) So
0: absolutely. Okay. So that makes sense. So the Oxycontin, like, did you, before that, were you ever smoking weed or doing anything like that drinking? Like when did your
1: use usage of anything ever actually start? Yeah, I think I, I smoked a weed a couple times before I did the Oxycontin, but I smoked the weed with some of my church friends, so we didn't do it all the time. It was just like here and there. Um, I think what really started it was my friend that gave me the Oxycontin actually had a lot of Oxycontin and morphine in his possession at all times because his grandma was prescribed to it and i just remember so he was taking it from his grandma do you think yeah i think he was stealing it from his grandma
0: i have no idea medicine
1: cabinet. yeah probably something like that but he had it every month so he had a bunch of them
0: so so grandma's getting the the re-ups on the uh On the the prescription and he's just like helping her manage them amongst his friends.
1: Yeah. He's probably just taking all of them. Honestly.
0: She was probably not even feeling pain anymore. (laughs) And even so. Okay. So, so he gave you that and
1: what happened? Uh, I just remember being really high, but I really just, I really don't remember too much from that night. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that after that, I knew that this kid had Oxycontin and morphine on him at all times, though. And I had told some friends at school that I'd done some, and they wanted some. So that's what started me selling drugs at age 16, was that connection that I had made with that person.
0: So did you by chance i mean after your first time using did you immediately were you immediately addicted like you needed it yourself i mean i know you say you started selling but were you uh captivated by it physically mentally emotionally Um, needed
1: it i don't think i don't think every day that i that i needed it but i know i was doing it every day so maybe Maybe, maybe it did, maybe it didn't, but like I said, I started I mean, you kept them. going
0: back to the guy, right?
1: Yeah, I kept going back to the guy, and I kept doing them, and I sold them. And I know at that time, that was my first taste of selling drugs and then being able to do them and not have to pay for them because ultimately I'm making it all back while I'm selling it. So that was the first taste of that because then that would be what I did for the rest of my using days is just sell drugs so I can afford to do them.
0: So then did you just realize, like, I need to start selling this stuff in order to nurture the addiction?
1: I have no idea. Um, I don't think that's what it was at all. I think it was that I told some people at high school that I could get it, and I didn't have very many friends at that point. And so I used that as a way to gain friends mm-hmm. or what I thought was friends. And I know at one point I knew everybody in school and like they all wanted me to come all to all of their parties. And so it felt good in that sense, but soon it did not feel good after that. And when was
0: this? How old were you? Like 16, 17, around that time?
1: Yeah. And during that time? I probably
0: 16. Were these the Oxy-80s that were really popular in like 2006?
1: Yeah. Okay. And then? um, Oxy-80s and the morphine 30s and 60s. This guy was getting all these from his grandma, or did you find other sources? I think it was all from his grandma. The the morphine 30s were the Roxys? No, I think they were there they before that. They had like a M with a square around it, I think. Got it. Okay.
0: So so you were getting these, you had a supply of them, you were selling them, you were using them at the same time,
1: correct? Yeah. How long did that last? Uh, that lasted for like eight or nine months. What happened? Uh, Somebody that I was selling to at school, they took them at school and got way too high. And uh, I don't know what happened in the meeting that they had with the principal, but that person ultimately told on me, but then warned me before I was about to get caught that I was about to get caught. So on my way out to the car to destroy all pills, the cops were walking one way. And I was walking the other way to meet up at my car, basically, and uh, then I got arrested right, right then, then and there. <clears throat> and you were how old? Uh, about seventeen. So,
0: as an adolescent, you got arrested with opiates.
1: Yeah. Did you go to juvie? Yeah, I think I went to juvie for like two days.
0: Okay, so they like arrested you, took you to juvie, and then released you to to who, mom or dad?
1: Yeah, they released me to uh, (laughs) probably my mom, but uh, they released me, I think, after I went to court because we decided to accept their offer of doing drug court. At the time, I had no idea what that was, but I did drug court to...
0: Ricky, were you still attending school during this time?
1: Um, I think I stopped attending school for like a couple months because I had to figure out, one, where I was going to go to school because I got expelled from all the schools in that district. So I couldn't go to any schools like – in that district or in a 15-mile radius or something. Hmm. But I did eventually go to school at an alternative school doing online classes. And it was okay. probably the easiest thing I've ever done. But I got my high school diploma.
0: You did. So you finished on time. You were doing alternative school just online. It wasn't like you were going to like a secondary educational learning facility. Okay. No. So, so – so you actually finished high school. And, and during this time like, with drug court, was it successful? Did you finish it? I did. I did. Never for, got in trouble? Were you using during that
1: time? Yeah. I definitely was using. Um, you, how would you get away with it? Were they testing you? They were testing me every week, yeah. You there were some times when I was... Like,
0: like you knew what to do? What's up? Did you have, were you calculated
1: like you knew how to use without getting caught? Uh, well... I did start buying these drinks that would like clear out your system. It wouldn't, it would only, it would put a mask okay, on my it would system. Mask your
0: system. Right.
1: I thought it would clear out my system, but it actually would just put a mask on my system for like a you two know. hour period. Hmm. So if I didn't test in that two hour per- period, then I would fail. Yes. Okay.
0: So it would flush you out and just make it look like you were clean. Yeah. So you were getting away with that. You were still using. You finished drug court successfully. Would you turn 18 around that time?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I was already 18. Because um, okay. I was on drug for, court for like 18 months.
0: Oh, okay, okay. And then what happened then? How did life continue?
1: Were you living with mom, dad, or on your own? Yeah, um, I got off drug court and they, I watched them shred my record. Mm-hmm. Like it's a whole thing in court. They like shred your record. Everybody takes pictures. Oh my gosh, we're so proud of you. Blah blah blah. And uh probably shortly after that, within the next like four months, I uh I was taking Adderall. Why? <laughs> just to get high off Adderall. I just liked being up. So you weren't
0: taking it like to where it was prescribed and you were using it to focus on school or some shit you were taking Adderall to to like abuse, like you were abusing it.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Snorting it, smoking it, eating it. it. Okay.
1: And, and then what? Um, so I, I, I just remember buying these scripts from these people and I would just do Adderall all day and, I don't even know what I would do, to be honest with you. I'd go hang out with some friends and then, I don't know, just hang out. But there was this one time that I took like all 30 pills in a seven-day span. Mm -hmm. And I was awake for this whole time. Seven days is a long time to be awake, let me tell you, um, with no sleep. I started seeing things. I started seeing people. I was, ha- I was having actual conversations with people that weren't there. Do you think and... the Adderall was putting in, into like a drug-induced psychosis? Yeah. Hmm. I think it was, but I, I think it had more to do with me being awake than the actual drugs.
0: Interestingly enough, you went from being an opiate user to a stimulant user. Are you telling me that during the time that you were doing your little Adderall stint, like opiates were obsolete, like they're out of the picture?
1: You know, I I really didn't do them that much. Yeah, they weren't. I remember one time holding on to a gram of heroin for like four to five weeks. Wait, wait, wait.
0: So you went from opiates to heroin, but like it wasn't really that interesting to you because you were now in the Adderall world? I guess so, yeah. Okay. Um, I moved
1: from one thing to the next pretty Pretty easily, but didn't stay on one thing or didn't use it all at the same time.
0: How did you learn or catch wind of smoking Adderall? Did someone like do this in front of you? Did you learn from them? Like, was it the internet? I mean, what makes an individual who's in their young adulthood uh, come up with the idea of smoking a pill?
1: I didn't, I didn't smoke Adderall.
0: Okay. You didn't smoke Adderall?
1: No, I just snorted it.
0: But with the oxys, you were smoking those.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Somebody showed me that. It was pretty easy. I don't know where they got the idea, but but that's how you could tell it was a real eighty, if it would just go down the tinfoil really nicely with no problems. So one of the other people that was in your
0: life before that was smoking the eighties showed you how it's done, and then you did it, and it became for a while it became a way of life.
1: Yeah. Okay. I so, remember, I remember like going, cause you could leave school to, for lunch. And I remember leaving to go to this girl's house and we would just smoke eighties for all lunchtime and then go back to school, just trashed. And I remember being at school most of the time, to be honest with you. Were
0: you nodding off and things like that? Is, is that usually what would happen? And no In- teacher, no teachers ever approached you or anything like that and said you don't look well, like you need to, Nothing? That was the crazy thing. No, they didn't. Interesting. Family, parents, never knew? Like, were you a cigarette smoker? Were you nodding off and the cigarette was burning your shirt or anything like that?
1: No. I think I think that happened, like, maybe one time with my pants. And I think my mom asked a question, you know, but then I obviously didn't tell her the truth. So, mm-hmm. even just- though... Even though probably if I did, it would have been beneficial. So
0: Joe Pizzarella is on here. Thomas Jake is is on here. They're all saying here, let me show you. Thomas is saying, Ricky, you're awesome. Joe's saying that's the tri cities for you. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's right. He's, he's talking from, about Washington. He's, he's from, from Washington. Same, yeah. He's from
1: the same place as me. So Sure. Okay. So um
0: you got into the Adderall and how did you did you get off of it and try some other stuff? Did you get into other things?
1: Well, the Adderall thing ended with that seven day span thing because ultimately I got so freaked out because there was people outside my house that I had my friend Ben call the cops for me to tell the to tell the cops that there was people outside my house with guns. So then the actual cops came and Arrested me for falsely reporting a cl- crime, even though I didn't actually report it. But somebody
0: else, re- you had someone else report. And those, right. and the people that you thought were out there weren't real, re- real people. It was perhaps as some of us call them, the shadow people.
1: Yeah. The treeple, the shadow people, all of it. Yeah. All right. And
0: um, so that ended. Then what? You went back into opiates?
1: Uh, no, I start. I was doing Xanax a lot. And how did you Xanax Xanax and Adderall? I had gotten a DUI actually for Xanax, my first DUI. And you were getting the Xanax. How from a friend? I don't know where he was getting it from. Probably he was prescribed to them. I'm not sure.
0: All right. So with that said, what happened? Were you driving under the influence? You got a DUI and then did you get some kind of, did you go to jail?
1: Uh, yeah, I think I went to jail for a night, and then they let me go. That's what they do with DUI people for some reason. They don't keep you there. even though Sometimes
0: you... they, they do it usually on the first offense, and then the second offense a little bit longer, and then the third offense um, perhaps six months or something like that because at this point they then consider you a danger on the road. I think they yeah. should consider people that from the very first one. But okay, so – So then you caught this case and you got this DUI that's lingering and hanging over your head. And then you didn't stay sober or you did?
1: Uh, I did not stay sober.
0: Any kind of drug court, any DUI classes or alcohol classes, anything like that?
1: No. See, when I was on drug court, I had to go to these IOP classes. But as soon as that ended, I didn't go to those anymore because I was a free man. Yeah, but with this DUI, what would they do? Oh with the DUI they just I pled guilty and that was it. I did a day in jail and you have this on your record? They didn't there's no conditions like nothing? No, not for the first one.
0: Okay. We're getting we're it's starting to get into something. Okay. So then then you um went back to just a, a using lifestyle obviously cuz you kind of got a slap on the wrist and you were done with that?
1: Yeah. Um I think after being arrested for falsely reporting the crime Mm -hmm. and then the DUI, me and my mom decided I was going to move to Seattle and go to college because Tri-Cities was not a good place.
0: Okay. So you went to college?
1: So, So I went to college in Seattle.
0: And you were actively using what?
1: I was actively using marijuana, Xanax, uh I did a lot of stuff while I was there, to be honest. And how old were you during that time? 21, 22? Uh, I was like 20.
0: 20, okay. And did you finish college? Uh, no. Uh, how long into college did you make it until things kind of, like till the
1: shit hit the fan? Uh, I made about like a year, a year and a couple months. Okay. And then? <laughs> and then... Uh, I moved back to Tri-Cities, okay. and I got another DUI.
0: Under the influence of what?
1: Alcohol, this time.
0: Okay, and then?
1: And uh, they took me to jail, and the girlfriend that I had at the time thought it was her fault, so she bailed me out.
0: How, okay, then. Then, so she bailed you out, and you went and stayed with her?
1: Uh, I think I was staying at my friend's house who is growing marijuana downstairs all right and then um and then i i think i i went to treatment for the first time at this place yeah at this place called sundown okay and uh got out of there and uh how long were you in
0: treatment for uh
1: that place you're only allowed to stay in treatment for 21 days Gotcha. I don't know why, but...
0: And then what'd you do? You got out and uh, were you staying sober?
1: I think I stayed sober for a little bit, yeah. I was living in an Oxford house. I think I stayed sober for like seven or eight months. And Oxford houses up in Washington are sort of like the Oxford
0: houses that are back east. They're they're a sober living environment. There's not a lot of structure, if I'm not mistaken. It's just you're just expected to live there and stay sober, correct?
1: Yeah. How
0: long were you in the Oxford
1: Everybody pays rent for the whole house. Like
0: like 500 bucks a person or something like that, right? Like
1: 300, but 300. yeah. Super Did they cheap. test
0: you? Were they testing people?
1: You only got tested if you were- it's a suspect. Suspect of being under the influence. At this Oxford house, I was the person who uh, turned all the rent in, and my best friend was a president and really the only person that could UA anybody. So that didn't end well, really why because everybody started using and we just didn't ask anybody to get uas because we would all lose our place of living if we did that who was supplying them with drugs um i think they had their own people i supplied myself with my own drugs and the president he was an alcoholic so he just went to the bar all the time and the other people they had their heroin hookups in North Seattle. I don't know. Lovely. So the Oxford house,
0: which was supposed to be a sober living environment, wasn't nobody was sober. Okay. Um, then you, so did you end up moving out of there and moving back in with the
1: girlfriend or where'd you go? Uh, yeah, I think I moved back home. Um, and I lived with my mom for a little bit Mm -hmm. and, uh, then I got a third DUI. So, so that what's up. For what? Uh, That one was also for alcohol. Okay. So that one though, um, I got a private attorney and he kept me out of jail for like a year and a half. But then during this year and a half, I was wearing an ankle monitor that monitored alcohol. It could detect it through, through your sweat. And so I stayed sober off alcohol for a long time. Stayed sober off
0: alcohol, but did it monitor you for drugs?
1: No, it didn't. So
0: you were using drugs. You resorted back to...
1: I actually stayed sober for like seven or eight months, but then I did start using um, opiates all of a sudden Mm -hmm. with this chick that I met at the treatment center that I went to. And uh, that was like a shit show in itself, honestly. But it was just... Not, it was not good. Um, she ultimately like sprayed a bunch of cleaning supply stuff in my car, and my ankle monitor detected alcohol from the cleaning supply. The cleaning stuff.
0: Supplies. Okay,
1: and uh, I went to jail for that for eight months. So, interesting.
0: Okay, so th- at this point, it's a we're at three uh DUIs, you're in your what mid 20s, early 20s.
1: Yeah, I'm like 22.
0: All right. So, th- how many more DUIs did you accumulate throughout your life?
1: Two more after that.
0: So you've had five DUIs in your life. Yeah. You uh, did you get into opiates like into your later 20s?
1: Yeah, I started doing opiates again, um, probably when I was like 22. Okay. In, in Tri Cities, how like old that.
0: are you? How old are you right now?
1: I'm 31 now. So
0: I I believe I probably met you when you were in your late 20s, maybe 27, 28 years old. Um, When I met you, uh, question for you. Did you ever shoot heroin? I shot heroin one time. Okay. So you were mostly a smoker, correct? Yeah. When I met you in your late 20s, I believe it was, you had gotten into some trouble and you were at a treatment center down in Southern California. Um, you, when I first met you, you were sitting outside of this center, like they're a clinical building and I had been introduced to you and then we talked. And when I talked to you, you told me that you were a fentanyl dealer. Did you, were you selling straight fentanyl knowing that you were selling that? Yeah. Was it in powder form or pill form? It was rock form. So powder form, I guess. Was this in Washington or California? California had it ever had you ever done it or seen it in Washington as just straight fentanyl yeah fentanyl patches yeah so I remember that there was a time when fentanyl patches were a thing Um, they were people were basically either prescribed them but they were opening them up right is that right am I correct
1: yeah they were in like a strip a myelin patch that's what they were called like 50 micro dots or grams or something. Okay. And for those that are
0: watching this that don't know, Ricky, do you want to explain what the purpose of a fentanyl patch, what its intention was in the first place, why people were on fentanyl?
1: Well, the only reason that I know to that for somebody to take that is because they're dying of cancer. Like they're going to die. And, and this was it's a great something. pain
0: reliever, correct?
1: Yeah, just a big pain reliever so they don't have to die in pain.
0: Right. Carrie just said fentanyl lollipops too.
1: She's right. Or he. He's he. right. Yes.
0: So, okay, so we want to talk about this a little bit. Um, if if you do research on fentanyl, fentanyl is not something that's new. It's been around for a long time. It's been around from since the 60s, if I'm not mistaken. It is used in a medical setting. It's usually used in... A surgical setting, but definitely for it is a painkiller. Fentanyl is uh, some say fifty times as strong as heroin. Um, during I believe probably around two thousand and I want to say nine or ten, perhaps we started seeing um, fentanyl being used as patches and lollipops for people, as you just stated, that were in, in, in ex- like extreme amounts of pain. That it was intended for pain relief. Correct. Yeah. Not for, not for people to be abusing, but suddenly, um, uh, what we've seen more recently, probably in the last five years, obviously, because we hear about a lot of fentanyl overdoses and then there's car fentanyl, which is more powerful than fentanyl itself. People started to distribute fentanyl or they were lacing drugs with fentanyl. A lot of times, a lot of stuff that's being found on the internet or on the dark web, um, that it, it is, Presented as Xanax or presented as uh, other various pills uh, is often laced with fentanyl, too, which is an immediate killer. Now, there's a lot of people that think because they have an overdose on it that um, that it's okay and they're not going to. A lot of people think um, they'll be okay this time, like this time will be fine, even the ones that have overdosed a few times. So so it's definitely being distributed in many different ways now. Um, And I'm not saying that big pharma is just pumping fentanyl out there. There's a good chance that perhaps you know, like uh, people that uh, do things illegally uh, from various countries are bringing fentanyl into this country, and so it's it's found not just in pill form, but now in powder form. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was actually first started on the East Coast. Yes. Like that's that's what they were doing for a really long time, and that's what they thought that heroin was. They've never yeah. seen black tar heroin over there, so. Right.
0: Right. So on the East Coast, it's China white. That's usually the type of heroin. It doesn't look anything like the black tar heroin that's found on the West Coast. Black tar heroin obviously it lives up to its name. It looks like black tar. On the East Coast, it's a powder form. It comes in various shades of white and cream and so, those types of colors. So, But fentanyl was a different animal. I mean, this is something that now is they call them the fentanyl blues. I get phone calls All the time, from people nationally across our country that are asking me for help because they're addicted to fentanyl, and we're not just talking about um, people in their twenties. We're talking about teenagers. We're talking about adults. I'm talking like forty year olds, fifty year olds that are obtaining this stuff off of the dark web. They they say that they're they call them the blues, right? And they're fentanyl pills. Now, around here in Southern California, as you were saying. Um, what's a very popular thing right now amongst uh drug users is straight up powdered fentanyl. And yeah. the, perhaps the cartels are distributing this into you know, they're making their rounds and they're making sure that all the different states in America, all fifty states, there's I mean, I see people come from all walks of life, na from from every state. I mean, even Maine, even Delaware that come out to treatment in California or to Florida or wherever they go. They but they're addicted to fentanyl. And often when we will do a UA test in the beginning, a urinalysis to see what's in their system, it's fentanyl. Some people don't even know that they've been doing fentanyl because they come in with a cocaine addiction or a meth addiction or or they've been doing Xanax that they've gotten out the streets or from the from the internet, and uh, fentanyl will pop up in their system. So they have no clue that they've been doing something that's been laced with fentanyl. But but the thing that's very uh it's dramatically killing a lot of people right now is a lot of people are doing straight up powdered fentanyl and it's a killer. It can kill you almost immediately. Um, it, it does kill you immediately depending, you know, on your tolerance or how much you're doing or how, what the strength of it is. And so at this time, when I met you, were you down in California? Where were you getting this stuff? Like, was it just from a dealer?
1: Yeah it was from a dealer in Costa Mesa and were you had you just gotten out of
0: treatment or something and decided that you still want to go pursue opiates
1: uh yeah i think actually the first time i did it out here was before i met you um I was actually doing just heroin at the time, selling it for somebody. And then one of my friends introduced me to this fentanyl stuff. They were saying it was China white. And I was like, I don't really think so, but whatever. And then come to find out from the actual dealer guy, it's just fentanyl, straight fentanyl. And where and do you think it was
0: coming Did you think it was possibly coming from Mexico or where?
1: Probably mexico or somebody in state who's making it who knows how to make it
0: they've just learned how to chemically make it to the point where it's distributed and and usable and can get you high
1: yeah i think you can look up the recipe on the dark web honestly Mm -hmm. and if you know how to do that kind of stuff then you can make it
0: here's a really good question i really love what uh, diane is asking why do dealers lace other drugs with fentanyl?
1: What's their motivation? I think their motivation is to say that their product is the best of the best. So but if you're lacing it with cocaine, I don't really see the point in that because then your users is just gonna fall asleep or whatever. So I don't know.
0: It's okay, so uh, I do think that they want their drugs to be the most powerful, definitely. They're not really caring about if somebody's going to die from it. They're thinking that it's not going to catch up to them. I think that they're probably using it themselves a lot of times too. So they don't think that far ahead that they're about the money and whoever they like, they want to be able to get as much of it out there and and get as much money as they can so that they can just get more and more. I, I want to talk about something. Uh, Jimmy Jimenez says makes whatever drug you're doing 100% better. And then he also says money. Um, moves, Carrie LaGarthe, uh moves faster, more money. Now, uh, I want to say that <clears throat> probably a year before I met you, I was actually working in another center. There was a friend of mine who, uh, I knew her from, uh, she was a friend of mine on Facebook. She lived in Wisconsin. She had a son who we were trying to get help for. Um, he was Addicted to fentanyl. He had been to treatment one time before in his life. And um, we were set up to bring him into treatment the following day. But unfortunately, they found him in his car, overdosed with needles. He was shooting fentanyl. and, um, And so he never made it. He passed away. And to this day, you know, she's never been the same. Now, she told me recently, and this is years later, at least five or six years later, that in that neighborhood, in that area where they lived, the guy that was distributing the fentanyl to her son and many other people who had overdosed and died was more recently uh, um, arrested and and actually was put away for a long time. And it was because of being a fentanyl dealer. And I believe it was either a homicide or uh, manslaughter charges. I I don't know exactly what the charges were, but this individual uh, was charged with basically killing people right so because of being a fentanyl dealer so when i met you like when you had gotten into that game of selling fentanyl did you know what you were putting out there
1: um probably not the probably not the extreme of it because i didn't die from it mm-hmm. but i watched other people overdose all the time from stuff um, that you were selling them yeah yeah Right in front of your eyes or you just heard about it?
0: Right in front of my eyes, like a did couple of times. When you saw it, did it scare the shit out of you or did you think they did too much? Did you think that they were uh, like, maybe you need to like check your stuff and see what the hell you're putting out there. It's a little too powerful. Or were you trying to educate them on not using too much or what? Because I don't think there's any way of educating somebody on like how much fentanyl to use or not to use. Right. I, I've seen people smoke it. Not even snort it or or shoot it, but straight smoke it, overdosing.
1: Yeah. I think that I overdosed from it one time from just touching it because I don't remember smoking it. I remember touching it, though. So it's amazing. So you touched it, you think you overdosed, or you did overdose? Uh, I overdosed for sure, but what I was saying was I don't know if it's from me touching it or from me smoking it like way prior to me overdosing. Like... I just remember touching it. That's the last that I remember before I woke up and there's paramedics in my face.
0: For those that don't know how uh, uh, fentanyl makes you feel, how does it make you feel? What's the, how would you describe it makes you feel?
1: Uh, It makes me feel nothing. It makes me feel the closest to death without dying unless I do die. Is it, it a is it like it's a it's like a warm feeling of like a
0: warm feeling like you're getting hugged like like by something?
1: Yeah. Right. I would say so. It's just like any other opiate really, but way stronger and you don't have to do that much and just feel really good. It's been so long since I've done fentanyl that I've kind of forgotten what it makes you feel like, but I just know it was the best feeling ever. Okay. When you
0: when you um, saw these people overdosing in front of you, did you stop selling it? No. Was there any kind of fear, any
1: police interaction? Did you get in trouble? No. Um, I called the cops, the paramedics for these people. And... Paramedics brought him back to life. Cops came. But they got this law out here in California, uh, the Good Samaritan Law. So if you call the cops for somebody overdosing- You won't get in trouble. You won't get in trouble. The cops no. can't arrest you.
0: Right.
1: So I didn't get in any trouble. Cops came. I didn't get arrested. Uh, so it was all good, I guess, but not really because- people were overdosing.
0: Lisa is asking, is it similar to heroin? It is very similar to heroin, but but a lot more powerful and stronger. Hence the reason why, I mean, people can overdose from heroin. They have been for years, for decades, right? There's been overdoses. I've, I had a roommate in the nineties that like, I was more into stimulants at that time. I, I had my heroin stint, but this guy went and was starting to shoot heroin. And then one night they told me my roommate died. I'm like, what? Seriously? And he was somewhere where that law wasn't put in place yet. So the people that watched him overdose in their house up in LA, they left him. And um, you know, there was a there could have been a chance. I mean, I don't even know if there was Narcan during that time in the nineties, but I know that um but there may have been a chance. Maybe that some somebody could have called the paramedics and they could have came and revived him and saved him, but wasn't the case. He passed away. God rest his soul, stubby. It was the first time I actually knew somebody in the nineties that overdose from heroin. So yes, it is like heroin, but it's much stronger. And these days, more people seek that than they seek heroin. I mean, you do get your average everyday like old school heroin user, like addict that was like trying to stay away from that because they're afraid that they might die too easy from it. But if you look at like Ohio right now, the entire state per county, like it'll show you how many overdoses there were per year and and none of them are from hardly any of them i won't say none of them hardly any of them are from heroin overdoses anymore the whole state is just being run rampant by by fentanyl overdoses and fentanyl usage so um jimmy says at the ilano club that i go to they give out narcan nasal spray four milligrams for free and you know what's really cool about that there's an ha meeting that i go to it's one of my home groups it's uh up in la where they 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 to distribute free Narcan to anybody and everybody, just because you know, like people, just because people are going to AHA meetings doesn't necessarily mean all of the members are staying sober. People still have old ideas. People are still in relapse mode. People are still thinking about getting loaded. So why not at least give them something that might be able to save their lives? Which is remarkable. I think it's a great thing that that Narcan uh, is there. It definitely can, can save somebody's life and and hopefully they'll they'll have that wake up call. It's unfortunate though what I do see now with fentanyl use is a lot of people will overdose and become hospitalized. I'm talking like they'll hit their head on something and have a big old gash or something and they're sitting in the hospital and I'll get a phone call or I'll go visit them and and see them like in that state and they will get out and fucking go do fentanyl again. They will yeah. fucking go do fentanyl again. So it's gnarly. Um uh, I've done that. Yes, I did. heroin. I did with heroin. I woke up in a cold shower. No one called 911. Grateful I survived. Good to hear from you, Lisa. And Lisa has been sober for many years, many, many years, like a double digit sobriety. But, um, oh, so, so you never got in trouble for it. I think that you were starting to. Get I did. Mean, to- oh, you-
1: I've got, I've gotten in trouble for it, but not the times that you were asking, but yes. Got in trouble for possession or for sales? Sales. And that was
0: in Southern California? Yeah, that was in 2017, October. So so in your adult life, you had five DUIs, and in 2017, you were arrested for sales of fentanyl?
1: Yeah, but they didn't know what it was at the time. So I got charged with sales for an unknown substance, okay. basically.
0: Did the charge go through? Because, I mean, they didn't know what it was. Yeah,
1: the charge went through,
0: yeah. Okay, so then you found your way into jail, or did,
1: were you looking at prison time? Uh Yeah, I went to jail, and I was looking at a lot of prison time, because I got arrested for the, I got five sales charges on this one stop, plus the two DYS that I had uh, an arrest warrant for. Okay. So I went into jail out here for those seven things. Okay. And then,
0: what was the conditions like? You either you were looking at prison time or you go to treatment. Correct? Is that what I remember?
1: No, Uh, I was in jail, and my public defender was telling me the best I can get you is like six years in prison. Like, there's nothing better I can get for you, and you're in jail, so there's nothing really you can do for yourself. You know? You didn't have the luxury
0: of getting an attorney at the time. A regular attorney. I,
1: I couldn't get an attorney. I couldn't get anything, right? But I was in there for five months, and this dude came in. He got arrested. I. He was, uh, he was this black dude. And, you know, like in jail out here, you're not really allowed to associate with- With certain races. You have to run right. with your own race, yes. You have to run with your own race. and But I, for some reason, didn't care about that. And I started talking to this guy and like I started eating dinner with him. And for whatever reason, we started talking and he was in there for like two weeks, maybe. And when he got out, he told me he was going to bail me out because I didn't belong in there. And he got out and he actually bailed me out for my bail. And he was waiting there for me when I got out. And that was my first glimpse that like. You know, maybe there is a higher power out there like watching out for me because who has even ever like imagined somebody in jail you met that kept something that they kept their word on something that they said they would do like nobody ever, you know, (laughs) but he bailed me out and I got out and I went to treatment after that because I was like, I got to get sober. Like I can't. Somebody just bailed me out that I don't even know. I can't waste this opportunity. I would call that an act of God. Yeah, I would too. Bailed out and what'd you do? You went to uh, the center where I met you? Uh, no, I went to uh, this place called Landmark. Great. Well, with that said, all right.
0: Um, you started going to treatment a couple of times and you met some people that were going to treatment for the wrong reasons. Am I correct? Yeah. Uh, were you ever involved in any kind of body brokering or were you ever brokered? Yeah. People were offering you money to go to treatment?
1: Yeah, I went to treatment three different times for $5,000 each. Did you have um, good insurance? Is that why you were kind
0: of a person of interest to them? Yeah. They paid you the five grand each
1: time? Yeah. Did they get you high too? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, one time they got me high, but the other two times they were like, no, you just need to go to treatment. I'm not going to give you anything. <laughs> so so,
0: so you, this guy helped you. You got out, but you got caught up in that lifestyle. So you weren't quite ready to get sober and you weren't quite ready to get real help. Right. Um, during that time, it was the wild, wild west. There was a lot of that's going on. I mean, it still goes on, but not like it was, I believe, during that time. I think the FBI now has started to, to go after many different people that are paying people to go to treatment. Also Trump passed that law, the ECRA law, where, which uh, made it illegal for anybody to pay somebody per individual or per client to put them in, into certain centers. Um, I, you know, I speak on this stuff all the time. I know that you knew some people that were caught up when I first met you during that time. Um, I, I believe that you had come to the place where I was at once and were you were attempting to get well but then i think you left and didn't get well yet but on the second round you did am i yeah uh, yeah so and that was the time where i saw a different ricky i i started liking you two days after i met you the first day i met you i couldn't stand you the reason i didn't like you is because you were smiling at me and telling me that you're a fentanyl dealer and you seem to be really OK with it. And I was like, fuck this guy. Like, and I, I had to be neutral about it because I'm working in a treatment center. And I have to view all of the clients as sick individuals that are coming to try to get help, that have different ideologies and different ways of viewing the world. But I hated your guts. I was like, fuck this guy. Right. But then when I got to know you about two days later and from there on, there was some like I was like, this guy's not a bad guy like he's fucking lost. He's a good dude. Like and then I always like loved your swag. I told you like I liked the way you dressed and and so we developed this friendship and I really like really enjoyed your company and I knew you weren't stupid. I knew you weren't dumb. Like you weren't just doing this like you you were caught up in the fucking game and all that shit most definitely, but like you were a, like, you had a good heart and you you sat in some of my groups and it's amazing. We were talking before we were even coming on here. Like you and I have sat in the same room with many different people and been in the same center with many different people who are all fucking dead. Yeah. We know a lot of dead people. We've even talked like about you making amends to one of those people who we would not have ever even imagined would have Dying. passed away. Yeah. That's the too. And then, on top of that, like, I mean, we named them like there's we just lost one two nights ago.
1: Yeah, that I didn't know that until you told me right now. And you didn't even know. And and I think
0: like you said, it'll probably hit you later. So and and more often than none, a lot of these people that we're losing is straight up because of fentanyl. I guarantee so, it. it. Whenever we hear that it's happening now, we pretty like that's where my head goes right away. It must have been that. It must have been fenny, as some people call it, or fentanyl. Now, and I've found people overdosed on fentanyl. I've seen people who uh, are who have overdosed, and all you have is their corpse. I mean, they're just basically dead, and they you got the the paramedics trying to revive a dead body, like doing everything they can, pumping their chest. Uh, they got them hooked up to the oxygen machine. They, they're narcinating them. They're doing everything. I've seen some people survive and come back. And make it and change their lives. And I've seen a lot of people fucking die right in front of my own eyes. So I have a major passion in helping people because I know that at this point right now, drug addiction isn't what it used to be. Like, yes, we've lost people to overdoses throughout, you know, the decades, the centuries. But this right here, this is much more serious than anything that we've ever dealt with. And so let's get into the recovery now. Ricky, when you took it serious... Why did you take it serious? Why, why the transformation? What was it in your life that made you say, fuck this? I'm tired of living that lifestyle. I needed to live differently now. And
1: what did you do? Well, I think what really changed it was I was working with a therapist while I was at the place that we know each other from and She started to show me a version of Ricky that I didn't even think existed. But she brought out that Ricky. And I started to believe that even though I didn't see it at all. But I just believed that I could possibly be a different person And I didn't have to be all the bad, I didn't have to let all the bad things define me, basically. And then introducing God into that whole circle of myself, um, I really just started to see God shape my life right before my eyes. And I had a good sponsor that was directing me in a good path all based off of a God. And I just, I had, I had hundreds of God shots all day long. And I was telling all the important people in my life about those God shots. I had like three people I would tell all those things to. And I don't know. I just, after I knew that I was not actually alone, when I knew I was, when I like thought I was alone, Um, that there is what kept me going, you know, just, and then my involvement at the church that I go to, like, I just started to see that there was a purpose beyond selling fentanyl.
0: So the church that you went to, uh, were you ever, when you were growing up involved in any churches or anything like that? Yeah. Was it Christian
1: based? Yeah, it was Christian based, but as soon as I got arrested for those charges at high school, they all turned their backs on me. So So okay. So they shunned you. (laughs) Yeah. They didn't want me around. But I know the church that
0: I believe I know the church that you're involved with, which which is in Costa Mesa. It's the big one, right? Yeah. And it's a very powerful movement. I respect them. I love them. I think they do great work. They help a lot of people that are less fortunate in life. They help a lot of people that have been sinners and been damned, you know, it's like so I, I really enjoy that that you that you went and subscribed to them, but also surrender. Surrender to you said God. Like and I and I trip on the fact that we lose so many people and I wonder to myself, like, I know that God is not the end all be all. I know that AA is not the end all be all for everybody. Right. But I tend to wonder when people die and and I I often say this, like, I feel that when people come into the path of recovery and get to get messages from messengers to be able to change their lives and change completely, what is it that we, that some of them do that they disregard those messages and keep giving more power to the disease of addiction, the illness, the alcoholism, the, the devil, if you will, if you're, you know, if that's how you roll, um, because at the end of the day, like if you keep giving so much power to those things, you know, it comes in many different material forms. They'll they'll put things in your path that will make you tempted, whether it be fentanyl or alcohol or sex or porn or, you know, many different things that are that make you tempted to, to go and go after them. And in the end, it becomes your demise. You become doomed. I mean, that's why we lose so many people. There's got it, the writings on the wall. There's plenty of signs that are showing us that people are fucking dying all the time from not just fentanyl, but from even from alcohol. I know people that drink themselves to death or people that create car accidents because they've been driving under the influence. You know, this whole Xanax craze. Kids be eating that stuff like it's candy. They think it's cute because they're all barred out, but it's there's nothing cute about it. And plus, half the shit you're eating that you think is like Xanax, it's It's not not even Xanax. Xanax. It's fucking fentanyl. It is straight up fentanyl laced or the majority of it's probably fentanyl and like little sprinkles of possible something that they call Xanax or that was made in some lab by, we don't even know. Right? Yeah. I heard
1: okay. they're lacing fed, or they're lacing weed with fentanyl. Put like what? Yeah. <laughs> Why? Right. But whatever, I guess I don't, can't stop it obviously, but that's crazy to me. It just, everything is laced with fentanyl now. Well, you know, I, you're a beautiful
0: human being. I, I love that you broke out from the clutches of addiction, but also I, th- I believe that drug dealing is an addiction within itself too. Um, oh, yeah. I have, no, I have no qualms in saying this. I sold a lot of drugs. Not, not trying to be cool or anything like that, but there was a, a, a fucking thrill that came in selling it, distributing it, transporting it, making sure that it all went down. Like this was a way of life. Like I was pretty much a drug marketer. Right. And I was a drugstore, cowboy, whatever you needed. I, I had it never gotten to selling heroin and anything like that. But during the 90s, like we were really big on GHB, on crystal meth, on ecstasy, boats and boats. And so for a long time, I was it was more the game, like being caught up in the game. that was more addictive to me than the drugs. Because there was a lot of times there was, there was shit that I was selling that I knew damn well, like this is some bunk shit, but I'm going to sell it anyway or I'm going to put something in it to make it a little more powerful, like some mescaline and things like that. And so, it, you know, it, it just was what it was, right? And I'm happy that you broke out of the clutches of addiction to, you know, selling, just distributing drugs and, and who you are now. You're a good man. You're a good man that's doing good work. You're, you're active in the church. You're working in treatment. You do panels. You've had me come in for panels. We've sat together. We've told our stories together. And if we can just reach one person's, you know, ear, that might yeah. give them a, a glimmer of hope to be able to change and be different, then we've done our job. We've done God's bidding, you know. So I, I appreciate you. I really do. I, I we've talked about having you on here for a while, and um, you're just a good man all around. It's like I it's a joy when I see a text come through from you. <laughs> or a message or when you just want to, you know, tell me about something that's going on in your life. I always love talking to you. You're just a good man. And I, and I'm so happy that you made it, man, because you made it.
1: I'm happy too. I'm glad you don't hate me anymore. So
0: (laughs) that was a two day resentment and I got over it. I did a little bit of writing about it and some praying about it, but, uh, I think you're a good man. I I don't think, I know you're a good man and I, I appreciate you for who you are today. This is like a true, genuine Ricky. And, um, And I love you dearly. And thank you for coming on the corner. Do you want, is there anything you want to say before we sign off? Uh,
1: I guess the only thing I really want to say is like, I tried to do AA for many years, 10 years, maybe. And uh, as soon as I got the missing piece that I was missing, I was like, oh my gosh, why didn't I just give this whole God thing a chance way sooner? because that was the missing thing for me. Like step three, I had never actually done a step three. I thought I had done a step three, but to actually do a step three and then see the changes is like so pure and so beautiful that like God actually can restore my life and restore me. And I would just say that I hope anybody out there that's doing their steps and they're new to this to really take take their time with step three and actually do a thorough step three because so you, I think that will help like a lot of people because so, so many are, people are against God. You know what I mean? You
0: do support the 12-step process then. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And, and you're on the path of, you know, helping people in the church or being there, being a major, like they, you work for them, right? Like they, they you're a part of that community. It's amazing. Yeah. Love it. And not everybody, let's not mix it up. Not, if you're listening to this, like not everybody has to go to church to get sober and not everybody has to go to AA to get sober. No. There's a lot of different ways that people get sober, but at the end of the day, I believe that recovery Is of vital importance to anybody that's suffering from drug addiction, alcoholism, uh, you know, or any other type of addiction. Um, So I appreciate you coming out today. You're such a good man. Love you so much. Thanks. All right. Signing off. Bye. Oh, by the way, this coming up Tuesday, we have a special guest. Her name is uh, Brianna. She's a, a sober stripper, she's out of Las Vegas. And um, she's agreed to come on the show and talk about her recovery. So I'm very, very excited to have her on. That'll be Tuesday at 12 o'clock PST. Much love to you all and see you then. Thanks. Thank you.